Good afternoon, good evening, and good night, as Truman would say. Welcome to Real Ramblin'. We're in Season 5, Episode 5. I hope you all are having a great uh, afternoon, evening, or night, or morning, uh, as you're listening to Real Ramblin', the podcast for movie lovers. That is, people who love to watch movies, not lovers in movies. You know what I mean. Especially if you've been with me for a while, so thank you, loyal listeners. And uh, if you're joining us brand new on this episode, well, thank you for tuning in and listening as well. This whole fifth season of the podcast has been about movie directors. Yeah, that's the focus all season long, and it's been super exciting, uh, really informational for me, and hopefully for you all as well. On this episode, Wes Anderson, and we'll get there in just a few minutes. I'm so excited because I talk about this guy a lot, and now, uh, well, he gets his own episode. As he should, because uh, like him or not, his movies are buzzing, and uh, I appreciate enough of his work to share some thoughts from my own uh, opinion vault. So that's coming up real soon, I promise. First, life updates. What have I been up to? Well, first of all, uh, you are hearing this in February, uh, because January is probably, for me and my family, uh, the craziest month of the year. There's just a lot going on. And then on top of that, I got sick. So uh, my recording schedule, again, was off by a little bit, but... Um, as uh, one busy human talking to other busy humans right now, I'm grateful that you likely understand. But how was your January? January's crazy for me. Like I said, um, celebrating birthday, anniversaries, all kinds of stuff. Uh, movies, very much a part of my life in January. I sat down and, and uh, continued to watch the Harry Potter films with my kids as they've been kind of doing one, about one a year. And so uh, our most recent watch was actually number four, The Goblet of Fire. And I have to say, I know, I, know I, I want to revisit all of the Harry Potter movies, probably on one to two episodes, uh, just devoting some time more to talking about these films. But just on a quick recap of thoughts, um, yeah, Goblet of Fire does not hold up for me. I think, uh, you know, at the time that it was released, I was very much of the age of the characters and the actors themselves, uh, Mr. Radcliffe and the gang, not much older than I am. Um, so being of that generation, you know, I, I loved it when I first watched it in theaters. The teenage angst, the dreading of the Yule Ball, the adventure of the Triwizard Tournament, the terrible haircuts, uh, all of it. And so on a rewatch nowadays, it, it just doesn't hold up for me. I will say I would rate it a three out of four reels still, uh, as I think I probably have for all of the Harry Potter movies uh, for varying reasons. But for this one, I think just barely a three instead of two out of four reels because the um, graveyard scene at the end absolutely does hold up. I mean, I, I think of the entire series, that still might be the best quality, most chilling sequence uh, in which everything changes for Harry Potter. And, and it was just really well done. Shout out to Ray Fiennes. Uh, for just selling that scene. But anyway, looking forward to watching uh, Order of the Phoenix with my kids, seeing their reactions as it'll be their first time watching it. We'll probably try to get to that within the next few months here. Another quick exciting update. Uh, the school that I teach at currently is starting to prep and do uh, interest meetings for their spring production, which is going to be Fiddler on the Roof. And this time around, they are opening it up to staff as well. Those interested in... Uh, auditioning. And I have to say, for me, that's kind of a cool thing, cool opportunity, because I, I always wanted to get into theater when I was in high school. Problem is, when I was in high school, um, I didn't really do much. I was not very outgoing at all. So that was kind of a hidden dream realized and developed later on of just, uh, you know, acting in general and, and getting involved in, in such things. So, hey, maybe this is my chance 
fulfilling my lifelong dream of auditioning only to become an extra. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, movies watched in January. A few old and a few new. Harry Potter, as I mentioned. I did go to watch Wonka while it was still in theaters. It might still be, actually. Uh, anyway, three out of four reels for me on that one. I, I, I really, really enjoyed this. This was a fun movie. I agree with what a lot of the uh, critics and audiences are saying about it. Necessary, no, but a fun movie to, to sit down and watch especially if you do have family, you know, younger kids, that kind of thing. Um, Timothy Chalamet, I think, was a decent Wonka. I think he hit the points that he needed to that were very clearly paying homage to uh, the Gene Wilder version from the 1970s. Uh, but yeah, kind of the full package made me laugh, made me cry, filled me with whimsy and wonder. Um, it's not a perfect movie, and maybe I'm unfairly calling it imperfect, but perfect Wonka movie at this point to me. What I'm saying is if, if you're going to make another Wonka movie at this at this point, having three different iterations, uh, it has to go deeper. It has to have more. To me, I want to still want to see like the deep lore of Wonka's origins, a little bit more Oompa Loompa stuff. Um, and I don't know if we're ever going to get that. So maybe I need to give up on that dream because that's what Wonka would want me to do, right? But if you have not watched Wonka, I encourage you to, to go see it. It's fun. Or watch it on your screens now. I, I think it's on streaming now, uh, as well as maybe being in some theater still. Uh, Asteroid City was another recent watch. That is now on Amazon Prime. I know that for a fact, because that's where I watched it. Uh, two out of four reels, and I do have some more thoughts on that that I'll dive into later on this episode. So if you're ready, here we go. Let's explore the life and career of one very curious individual known as Wes Anderson, uh, or as I like to call him, the Artful Codger. Wes Anderson was born May 1st, 1969, in Houston, Texas. During childhood, according to his uh, biography page on imdb.com, which is where I'm going to be getting a lot of this information here, uh, he began writing plays and trying his hand at shooting Super 8 movies. I liked that factoid that reminded me a lot of Steven Spielberg and some of these other guys. Um, it seems, though, that this remained nothing more than you know a hobby for a while, uh, as he received a seemingly standard education at, at two different high schools, one of them being St. John's Private Prep in Houston, which he would later cite as uh, influence behind his 1998 film Rushmore, so that's kind of cool. It should be noted that neither of Wes's parents had theater, acting, or filmmaking in their uh, professional background, but their divorce was an event that Wes would later describe as crucial in his growing up with his brothers. Um, I do see this in the themes that tend to be woven through his films. Loss, estrangement, the complexity of relationships, and the often dysfunctional fallout of that. Uh, so when did the life experience and the, the knack for putting stories to film really begin to manifest? Um, in digging this up a little bit, this is probably my favorite fact that I've come across uh, in researching the life and background of any director this season. So Anderson attended the University of Texas in Austin, where he met Owen Wilson. And they became friends and just started making short films together. Wes Anderson was a philosophy major, but uh, that interest and drive for movies and movie making just spurred on uh, what I can imagine as just kind of a series of side projects, weekend projects with his college buddy uh, before either of them were famous. And in fact, it's one of these projects that would end up putting both Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson on the map. Anderson's first feature-length film, Bottle Rocket, in 1996, 
began as a short film on a local cable access station in 1993. Yeah, uh, Owen and his brother Luke both had parts in the short Bottle Rocket and it gained some traction after a, a Sundance film screening. Um, and then Anderson and Wilson received funding to turn that story into a feature-length film. And the rest is history. How cool is that? And if you have watched Bottle Rocket, it certainly has that you know, lower-budget, uh, cable-access-turned-film-festival feel to it. But that's part of the charm, of course. Wes Anderson's success continued to climb, as evident in the list of titles and hits that would keep rolling out every few years for the next two decades and counting. You have Rushmore in 1998, The Royal Bombs in 2001, The Life Aquatic with Steve Sisu in 2004, uh, The Darjeeling Limited in 2007, 2009's Fantastic Mr. Fox, a Roald Dahl adaptation, Moonrise Kingdom 2012, The Grand Budapest Hotel in 2014, Isle of Dogs in 2018, uh, The French Dispatch in 2021, and then Asteroid City uh, just last year, 2023. So this guy's got a lot, and like I said, he keeps going. And if you've not watched any Wes Anderson film ever, I definitely, you have a lot to choose from um, to try out for your first watch. Ones that I would recommend, Royal Tenenbaums, uh, Rushmore, maybe Moonrise Kingdom, something that definitely will give you the flavor of this director. Um, And that's fairly easy to follow as a charming, quirky story, because that's what this guy's all about. Uh, interesting, some quick interesting factoids on Wes Anderson. So I guess Martin Scorsese is a big fan of his movies and once referred to Wes as the next Martin Scorsese in an article for Esquire magazine. Uh, to be honest, I don't know if, I don't know if that would feel like a, a golden stamp of approval for me. Uh, but you know who does view it as a golden stamp of approval? Martin Scorsese. This man is making cinema. Uh, Owen Wilson gets writing credit not only on Bottle Rocket, but for Rushmore and The Royal Tenenbaums as well, starring in all three movies with his brother Luke Wilson. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, Wes Anderson himself quoted uh, as—I found a few interesting quotes, actually, that speak to his style, of course, and then some of his own thoughts on detail and perhaps the criticism of style over substance— Listen, he says, I want to try not to repeat myself, but then I seem to do it continuously in my films. It's not something I make any effort to do. I just want to make films that are personal, but interesting to an audience. I feel I get criticized for style over substance and for details that get in the way of the characters, but every decision I make is how to bring those characters forward. I thought that was interesting. Uh, More on detail, he said, "I, I wouldn't say that I'm particularly bothered or obsessed with detail. That's the kind of movie that I like to make, where there is an invented reality and the audience is going to go someplace where hopefully they've never been before. The details, that's what the world is made of. Uh, Those two quotes almost contradicting each other, but that's all right. Finally, he says, I have a way of filming things and staging them and designing sets. There were times when I thought I should change my approach, but in fact, this is what I like to do. It's sort of like my handwriting as a movie director. And somewhere along the way, I think I've made the decision, I'm going to just write in my own handwriting. I do love that one. I mean, that's your ultra-inspirational quote, right? Uh, That really helps us to understand the mind of the director and know that he's probably not going to be drastically changing his format anytime soon, and good for him. Uh, So what does that handwriting look like? In other words, how do you know you're watching a Wes Anderson movie? Number one, obsessive and comedic use of rostrum camera insert shots, foregrounding the minutiae of books, documents, trinkets, and other random objects. 
Two, the use of slow motion shots of characters walking or running, all set to a catchy 1970s indie musical artist, or Mark Mothersbaugh. The appearance in large or small capacity of people like Edward Norton, Owen Wilson, Angelica Huston, Bill Murray, Willem Dafoe, Jason Schwartzman, Jeff Goldblum, Adrian Brody, and so on. Wes likes to shoot with extremely wide-angle anamorphic lenses that exhibit considerable barrel distortion. I'm really sure that I'm not really sure what that means. Another shot you'll commonly see results from planimetric staging, which involves placing the camera at a 90-degree angle with the subject of the shot. This type of shot is one of the main reasons these films are said to have a unique visual style. Other directors who have used this technique include Buster Keaton, Stanley Kubrick, and Yasuhiro Ozu. Is that important? I don't know. Last but not least, look for a character giving a complex, lengthy explanation for humor. Movies in focus. It's going to be two sides of the same coin here, honestly, because uh, on the one hand, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Darjeeling Limited, which is one of my favorite Wes Anderson films, uh, and I'll tell you why, of course. And then on the other side, I've got Asteroid City, which I've watched recently, which really just represents what I've come to not appreciate as much about uh, Wes Anderson's more recent movies. And I hope that you'll take thoughts on both into consideration and not judge too harshly if you are a mega, mega fan of this director. Uh, but the Darjeeling Limited, definitely my favorite from the director. Um, of the movies I've seen, I should specify, there are still a couple of titles I, I haven't watched uh, or watched in entirety, including, I think, of Rushmore, uh, The Life Aquatic, and The Grand Budapest Hotel. Royal Tenenbaums is a close second favorite for me. Um, the Royal Tenenbaums is perhaps the most attractive, I would say, uh, the most well-balanced and linear story with probably more laugh-out-loud punchline-y moments. Uh, but the first time I watched the Darjeeling Limited, it, it just grabbed me and, and pulled me in and kept me there from start to finish. It's, it's the exotic location, the incredible music, and above all, the journey, really. Um, the balance of, of heartfelt drama and dialogue with really great situational comedy, all found in the three main characters, uh, who are essentially estranged brothers after the passing of their father, uh, who take a trip together to try to find their mother, to rekindle their relationship with each other, and to experience a bit of a spiritual awakening in the process. That's the basic premise of the movie. Um, and these actors just execute it beautifully. You've got uh, Owen Wilson filling the role of the oldest brother, uh, followed by Adrian Brody uh, for the middle, and then Jason Schwartzman being the youngest brother. And these guys just, I think what made it work is they had a chemistry uh, that was necessary for the premise. And I was pleasantly surprised with Adrian Brody's performance in particular, not having seen him play around much in comedy before. Um, Darjeeling Limited has has really stuck with me for all this time, and, and in funny little ways, too, because uh, the dynamic driving this story, you know, every time I watch it, I think about my own brothers and even some of the trips we've been on together in the past. Realities like getting on each other's nerves one minute and hugging it out the next, um, not unlike the characters, you know, throughout the progression of this film. Some great quotes as well. Uh, just the other night, my wife and I went to an event uh, that, that had a map and a list of quite a few activities. Uh, well, after the first activity, I, I found myself wanting to make a plan for the rest of the evening to be efficient with our time and level of interest for the activities, etc., so I pulled out the event paper from my pocket and said, let's check the itinerary, you know, in my best Owen Wilson impersonation. Um, and I'm not sure she she realized I was quoting a movie, but that's okay. 
I love Darjeeling Limited. I could go on and on about it, but uh, moving over to Asteroid City, I want to start with the positives. Um, Asteroid City looks really, really nice, particularly the set of the Asteroid City play, um, which does take up, you know, half to the majority of, of the runtime. So it's a beautiful location set that you get to hang out in while you're watching the story unfold. Um, I loved the vibrant colors and the nuclear town facade aesthetic. I think it played really well to Anderson's trademark camera work of, you know, like panning and horizontal tracking and, and so on. Um, points for creativity of concept, definitely story within a story. It's not, uh, it's been done before, but it's not extremely common, I don't think, in movies. And it's, it's nice to see the attempt here. Um, what doesn't work for me with this movie is, is kind of a lot, mainly the execution of the concept. Uh, because nearly equal amount of time was spent between the portrayal of the play and those writing slash watching it in the movie, um, I found it hard to invest in story. You know, I was left wondering which storyline I should be caring about. Basically, the, the meta thing just didn't work for me. I know it's artistic and there's probably a deeper layer I'm just not picking up on. That, that does happen with me fairly frequently, and I'm not a movie professional movie critic or, or analyst. Um, but I just, I feel like I don't want to put on a film analysis hat to talk about a comedy. That's my main issue. Really, I, I don't think that's what a comedy should be. Uh, I don't think that's how Wes Anderson has, has done comedy up until recently with French Dispatch and now Asteroid City. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not against smart comedy. In fact, that's how I prefer it. Um, I love, for example, the, the mockumentaries from director Christopher Guest. There are layers and subtleties to be found there, um, but I never feel like when I'm watching those I, I have to think too hard to get it, if that makes sense. But another complaint, specifically, before I do end on a positive note, um, this is a lesser complaint but worth a mention in my opinion. So Wes Anderson is not afraid to roll out a star-studded cast in his films. That's pretty apparent if you have watched at least a handful of his movies. Um, I think, in fact, it's become just another trademark of his, right? That being said, uh, Asteroid City was overstuffed. I don't think there's getting around that. I would say the same about French Dispatch, but this conversation is more surrounding his more recent movie. You know, I think it boils down to there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. By this point, it's distracting um, to have a cast of, you know, 15-plus really big names um, and I'm not calling for less characters. It's great to see more people get work, and if the script calls for lots of roles, then fill those roles. That's great. Um, I simply wonder about the selection process from Anderson and the casting team. You know, if you've watched more than a couple of titles from the director, you'll notice he has a handful of favorites um, that he'll kind of lean on, and that's namely Owen Wilson, uh, Jason Schwartzman, Edward Norton, Bill Murray, a couple others. These guys are naturally really good at fulfilling the vision and style of Wes Anderson, and by now they're pretty seasoned with it. So when you start adding names like Steve Carell, Jeffrey Wright, Scarlett Johansson, um, I wonder if that's purely for star power, or you know, if he is just being nice and, and giving other actors a chance at playing in his sandbox a little bit. You know, um, I wonder that because, to be honest, I feel like none of the newcomers really excelled here, in my opinion. And I welcome pushback on that. I, I could be wrong. That's fine. And it's not the actors. You know, each of those actors are extremely talented. 
and maybe given more lead roles or uh, a couple more movies with the director, and they would find their stride a little bit more and it would feel more natural. Uh, Unfortunately with me, for a movie like this, I felt like, again, people like Steve Carell, Scarlett Johansson, they just kind of get buried in the giant ensemble. Um, But, you know, I'm I'm done complaining for now about this very talented director. And uh, here's my hope, is that whatever is coming down the pipeline for Mr. Wes Anderson, uh, it's a return to maybe some simple antics in the story and, and maybe a shorter cast list. That's all. Not too much to ask, right? <laughs> a thank you note to Wes Anderson. Thank you, Wes, for being committed to your craft and for embracing weird long before it was cool to do so. Thank you for providing some of the only comedy I do feel drawn to. Uh, May your antics continue to live on through each new story and set of characters that you dream up in that curious mind of yours. That's going to be it for this episode. Hey, if you want to chat with me about movies, and please, please do, I love talking to people about movies, you can find Real Ramblin' on social media. Just look for Real Ramblin'. Or you can send me an old-fashioned email to realramblin' at gmail.com. Don't forget to catch other episodes of the podcast anywhere you get your podcast episodes. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep watching and loving movies, and keep on rambling.